Welcome to the Gill Athletics Connections Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Cunningham, National Sales Manager for Gill Athletics. Our goal today is to connect you with coaches from around the world to learn their journey, share their stories, and just figure out who they are and what they're all about. So without further ado, let's get on and find out what today's guest has in store for us. All right. Thanks again for joining us here on the Yale Athletics Connections podcast. Super excited. You've already seen the marquee sign here that for today's guest, I'm super excited to have another throws coach to learn all about, you know, just what she's done in the throws arena as an athlete and as a coach. Help me welcome throws coach from the University of Wyoming, Miss Carrie Lane. Carrie, how are you? Mike, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing awesome. If you're catching us on YouTube, you'll see she's in her locker room there at Wyoming. There's a really cool cowgirl cowboy right behind her so yeah. uh i know very little about wyoming so i'm excited to figure out what wyoming well i know what it is but you know <laughs> what the uniquenesses are and, and really the history i mean there's some amazing history actually at university of wyoming for yeah. not only throws but all events uh mm -hmm. there so that's awesome well carrie you've uh you've listened to a couple of episodes you kind of know the drill and how we do things here we kind of get in our way back machine and we learn about you and your journey and uh super excited you know i know nothing about throws really so i always like talking to throws coaches and figuring it out uh i was excited to hear like their background and you know how far they threw and what they threw and uh, how they picked up maybe the javelin because that's you know one of the things we don't really do in american high schools too much and hammer so uh let's get in our way back machine and learn about you and your throws history so where, where do we begin where does track and throwing kind of begin for you high school middle school I mean my throwing for me began with uh with watching the Mary Decker Laney run the 1500 in the Olympics <laughs> so uh okay I say now I know you know we complain about kids not knowing their track history uh, but I was fairly certain Mary Decker Slaney was not a thrower and was a really good, like what, 3000, 1500 meter type runner. So uh, hold on, explain that. What does that mean? That's where it began for you. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess what I mean is my track career began, um, not anything near the throwing circle. Um, it was definitely, you know, running, um, getting inspired by the Olympics and running with my dad. And I ended up in the long distance realm as a, as an athlete. Um, and even I started as a coach, as a, as a distance runner and distance coach. So throwing came a little bit later, came after college for sure. Okay. Well, we're going to have to put a pin in that then, because okay. I, I don't know very many, uh, transitions from distance running to throwing or, or the other way around. Although, you know, John Godina has been doing some like half marathon, yeah. marathon, 10 K stuff, which, uh, I, I meant that we texted over the weekend I meant to call him to make fun of him just what he's doing he's crazy for that so maybe there is a, a a transition to go from throwing to distance running so talk to us about distance running what did you do and how did how did it get started for you, you said running with dad yeah I just like I said kind of inspired by the by the Olympics in the 80s um and yeah I just started going out for runs with my dad a couple times a week when I was maybe in fifth or sixth grade um and we actually lived overseas at the time. So there wasn't a lot of opportunity to be on a track team. We did a little bit of, of stuff. We did some other sports, but, um, but I didn't join the track team until we moved back to the U S and I was in junior high. And, uh, I just sort of, I mean, I, I actually, my first track camp was at the university of Iowa, um, 
coach Larry was Zurich was there. Yeah. Coach Wiz. And, <laughs> and so, yeah, I tried everything. Um, at that point, I think I long jumped like 14 feet. I tried the hurdles. I remember trying the steeplechase and it was a disaster because I was so short and I was in junior high, but I tried it all. Um, and then joined the cross country team when I was in junior high. Um, yeah, I think. Yes, I joined the cross country team in junior high and played basketball and then then ran track um, uh, in cross country all through high school as well. Now, when you say you tried it all and you said some long jump and I can't, I don't know how many steeplechasers should start maybe in middle school because yeah. even the tallest middle schooler maybe just yeah. should wait. Uh, although I encourage, I love the steeplechase, my favorite, all-time favorite distance uh, event for sure. Uh, so you, you tried it all. Did you try throwing back then too? Did you pick up a shot or a no. no, not at all. So no. you didn't try it all. Okay. I did not try it all. I mean, I, I tried the long jump once at camp and the coach, I forget who the coach was. He was like, Nope, <laughs> move on. Oh. <laughs> so I think, and then, yeah. So I think from there, they're like, no, don't even look at the shot put ring or any of that. So yeah, I just sort of gravitated, uh, to the distance event that's, and basketball. I play basketball, but that's yeah. never good when the long jump coaches, Hey, hey ho, ho, ho. Uh, how good are you of uh, running a mile and coming back? Yeah. Let's, let's try that instead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what, um, did you, were you more of like eight fifteen runner through high school or did you move to like the two mile and things like that? Yeah, I did everything. I mean, it was Iowa. I, I'm from Iowa city. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, fairly small, not it's a college town. It's not super small town, but, um, but yeah, I did everything from the 400 up to the, um, the 3000. We actually mm -hmm. had metric. Yeah. Race. I was weird. And I mean that in yeah. all the great ways, right? The, yeah. It is you're, weird. On, you're on the 15, not the 16, the right. three, not the 32. You don't have pole vaulting, Iowa. I'm looking at you. Yeah. We need to have pole vaulting back. Uh, or triple jump. I, I don't know if they have triple jump now, but right? when I was in school, they didn't. It was bizarre. Yeah. That always threw me when I was coaching at Ball State. I think it was. I don't think Indiana had the triple, the, uh, several states around like Kentucky did huh. not have the the girls triple jump. So we had to make most of our triple jump. Yeah. I never, like, I didn't understand. It's like, wait a minute, we, we can do everything now. Like, like literally yeah. we can do everything now, right? Like we have steeple mm -hmm. for women and hammer for women. We, we, we can do this now, people. Let's yeah. stop this yeah. insanity. Uh, so how did, uh, where'd you go to college and did you run in college and how'd that go? Yeah. Yeah. I went to Marquette university in Milwaukee. Um, I ran, I, yeah, I ran cross country and track there. Um, I think I probably would have been a more competitive division three athlete, but um, I just, I wanted to go to a school that was pretty cheap and one that was in a city because I lived in a college town. So I wanted like that big city experience. Um, and so that's Marquette is like right in downtown Milwaukee. And, um, and so that's how I ended up there. And I ran track and cross country. Um, at Marquette. Yeah. Cause you have a, a lot of choice, a lot of great choices of colleges in the state of Iowa. I mean, everything from D1, yeah. D3, big size, small size, there's a lot of great schools there. Yeah. And lots of really good, you know, running schools. Both my brothers went to Luther college, which is a great, has a great uh, track and cross country tradition mm -hmm. and all those schools in that conference, Wartburg, Grinnell. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah. And then obviously the, the three big state schools as well. So yeah, I mean, there was opportunity, but I was really fixated on being in a city. Like I looked at Marquette and DePaul, I looked at Emory University, um, and Marquette just sort of fit 
everything that I wanted a little bit closer. See, that's interesting because, you know, we talk about with recruiting kids, not just to look for, you know, the biggest scholarship package mm-hmm. or the, uh, the coach necessarily and the coach name, but what's a good fit for you. Yeah. And you were pretty set that, Hey, it's, it's gotta be a city. And so you looked mm-hmm. citywide. Yeah. Yep. For sure. I remember I also looked at Butler and I tried, I think Joe Franklin was the coach and I, I don't think he like returned my call. <laughs> Oh, Joe. <laughs> I mean, Franklin. Mike, I wasn't very good. I wasn't very good. I do not fault that guy at all. But, but yeah, back in the day. Yeah. So Joe um, Franklin, what could have been Joe? What could have been? <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I ended up at Marquette. I had a great um, experience there. Um, and then, yeah, I was kind of trying to figure out what to do after college. And um, I really didn't want, didn't consider coaching. Um, I had a background in international affairs. That was my major. I looked at, you know, working for the government, um, wow. interviewed out there. Yeah. With the CIA. Um, I didn't, I spoke several languages in college. And so that was, that was kind of the route I was going. Well, um, hold, hold on now. I don't know that at least no one's been admitted <laughs> this, that they can speak. Do you, first of all, you said you could speak other yeah. languages. Does that mean yeah. cause no practice, not, not too good right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, I took um, Japanese all through high school and college. Um, I took Arabic as well through a little bit of high school um, and then in college as well. Holy German In German, I had I had taken courses. My family comes from a German background. And so that I had done from junior high all the way through college. Could could you Um, speak those three fairly fluently, like hold a conversation? Yeah, I would say, um, I would say German and Arabic, actually, uh, I spent some time between high school and college, I spent um, a summer in Cairo, um, for about three months. And so I became pretty fluent. It's interesting when you, you know, when you go from like textbook learning, mm. and then you suddenly are just immersed in it. I remember, after, I remember it kind of clicked for me after about six weeks, where like, I didn't have to translate in my head. I was just like thinking in that language. Wow. And so, yeah, Arabic, I became pretty fluent in, um, but I haven't used it in so long. It, it's difficult. I can read it, but it's difficult for me now to even mm. read it. Um, and so, yeah, anyway, that was kind of the route I was you, looking at going. Do you think it would be like riding a bike? Like if, if you took six weeks and just back immersed yourself into it, that you would I mean, you already have a foundation. So you just yeah. kind of, you kind of like just have to remember some of the things that you already knew and probably still know it's just kind of in a different part of the brain. Yeah, I think so. I think with Arabic too, because we, when I was younger, we lived in the Middle East. And so I, I mean, we spoke English, we went to an American school and all that, but you know, it's like what they always say when you're young, if, if, if you learn the language, when you're young, it mm-hmm. sticks with you longer. And so I think, I think it would come back. It might take a bit longer than six weeks because I'm not young anymore, but, um, (laughs) but yeah, it does. Yeah. I do kind of have that, I guess, a little bit of Arabic ingrained in me. So in my brain somewhere way in the back. (laughs) I mean, I I don't want to poo poo on those guys and gals who know Spanish. And I took uh, what I take two and a half, three years of French. You just named some tough languages. Uh, you know, I know Japanese, uh, you know, they always talk about Mandarin, Chinese, and those kind of languages, extremely yeah. hard to learn. Of course, they always say English is the hardest to learn. And 
Yeah. You know, you've, you've probably listened to me enough on the podcast that, you know, that's true, at least for this guy, uh, but Arabic, I mean, that's amazing. German. I mean, that's, I can see the government route, kind of the NSA CIA type mm -hmm. route. That's kind of a very popular skill yeah. that they need, I guess. Yeah. So, so what yeah. happened with that? Did you fail a background check? And just so, <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't fail background check, but, um, but no, I just, I went out there and, um, uh, they inter I interviewed a couple times. Um, I took polygraph tests and all that, and it just was um, it was kind of soul sucking, really. It was like very, you know, sterile government buildings, um, a massive bureaucracy, and all of that. And I just I I really like being outside, um, and I like being active. And I felt like that route was not going to be an active outside job. I mean, maybe, you know, once you get to like Jason Bourne status and all that, <laughs> but I don't, I don't think like real, real sort of Intel work is, is like that. So. so if you know, Carrie, and, and you've seen the Jason Bourne movies, I now want you to picture that in your head of her doing those things. She could do it. I know she could, but yeah. So when through that process, when did like, oh, like this um, searching of coaching come like pulling you a little bit here? Yeah, I think I took another, I, I, so while the CIA was doing background checks and all that stuff, I was interning at Marquette as an academic advisor for uh, the athletes. Actually, Dwayne Wade was one of my advisees. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, but I mean, they didn't let me really handle him because you know, he's Dwayne he Wade. was like the golden child. But yeah, I, did, yeah, I was going to yeah, say, don't I, screw him yeah. up because... He's the only, I shouldn't say he's the only basketball player, but he's the biggest basketball player coming through Marquette. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 But he was, he was a freshman when I was there. So um, yeah, so I did that. And then I worked, um, I actually did an internship um, at a uh, national park, Salt Plains Wildlife Refuge in, in Oklahoma, actually. Um, and just, I lived on the refuge, like by myself in a house. I'd work with a couple other government employees from nine to five. I was just alone there by myself. I rented a lot of movies and all that. And that's when I kind of was doing a lot of soul searching, like, mm -hmm. okay, I, I want to do something active. Um, I like, I don't have a background in science. And so to pursue this kind of national park thing is um, maybe not the route I want to go. I can pursue some of the educational stuff that national park service does. Um, but, and that's when I started exploring coaching, like maybe that would marry some of my my interests, not necessarily the international stuff, but certainly with coaching, there's always the, the possibility to, you know, coach internationally and move overseas and that kind of stuff. So that was always in the back of my mind. Um, but yeah, that's how I started pursuing coaching track it was like, okay, this might be a job where I have a knack for teaching. I like to be active. Um, my brother was already doing that. So there was a little bit of you know, knowledge and education that I could glean from him. Mm -hmm. uh, so then I started pursuing graduate assistantships and what, what school university would um, accept me into that uh, grad assistantship program. So, and uh, I don't, I'm, I'm going to be respectful because, you know, I know your brother really well. Like I love, so for you guys that don't know, her brother is Todd Lane, who's currently the assistant coach at LSU. 
a great friend of mine. I've known Todd for many, many years. Um, but to be respectful to Carrie, we're not going to talk about Todd. <laughs> uh, sorry, Todd, because I know you're listening, buddy. Uh, love you to death. But you know what? It's Carrie's show right now. So um, so I don't want to get into comparison. Like if anybody's listening, they're like, why haven't they mentioned Todd and, and comparisons and all that? You know what, Todd, you can reach out to me, brother, if you want to be on, but we, we're going to talk to Carrie. Right, I, wanted, right. I wanted to learn about Carrie today. So uh, I'm way more interested. I agree. And anybody who knows both of you uh, also is shaking their head right now going, yep, yep, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Unless Todd's going to tell me he also, you know, learn, uh, no, speak. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No. He, Todd learned- goes to Russia and gets McDonald's. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right that's the last okay, thing we're going to talk that. about todd right okay. now all right uh so what i was going to ask was you know barring the t-o-d-d uh were there coaches in your background like when as you're starting to think about coaching and grad programs and things like that were there uh, was there a high school coach or a college coach anybody that you're like you know what i really liked how they treated me as an athlete and i kind of want to emulate that and that maybe that's why i want to go into coaching were there any influential yeah. coaches at that point that's a good question. Um, I mean, my college coach, uh, Dave Yurick, was, I just, I really respected his knowledge of the sport. Um, and he would explain workouts to us, you know, how, you know, how cross country and distance practice works, like the workouts are posted, and then you kind of gather around and he explains, you know, which energy system we're using, why we're doing this workout and, and all that. Um, and I really, I really got a lot of great information and passion because of just those little like track track side talks that he would Mm. give us just to inform us of the workouts. Um, I think it was really at that point, it was really more of just my, my very positive experience being on a team, um, Mm. especially cross country where it's, it's much more of a team Mm. atmosphere, you know, maybe than some of the individual track events. Um, And so I think it was more that experience and our dad had always um, coached us when we were younger, you know, like most, most dads that I know, they kind of pick a kid and they pick a sport and they're going to coach that kid in that sport for that season. And then they're going to maybe do a different sport, different kid next season. And so he would kind of rotate through um, and he was just kind of always around helping us out, whether it was like batting practice or running with us or hitting tennis balls to us or whatever. Um, so I don't know. I think that was some of it. Um, but yeah, I, I really think it was more of like the positive experience that I had had in high school and, and college, just being a part of a team. I'm trying not to be that dad. Yeah. I've got a 10 and a seven. Really? Yeah. And my 10 year old <laughs> just, uh, had his first track camp and, uh, you know, I'm trying to just sit there and watch and, you know, yeah. as long as they're not doing anything unsafe, like, I feel like, you know what, he, he needs to learn to be coachable and be coached. And even if they're doing some things that I'm like, yo, man, that guy's 10 years old. Like, I can't remember <laughs> if I said this in the last podcast, but the the one that like I got real close to like, oh, I got to say something, but but I didn't. I felt like I was good. Was long yeah. jump. Was long jump. And the coach said, mm. you know, if you step over, you're going to scratch. And my kid, you know, like, you know, my kid, you know, I'm, I'm a Southern dad. So he's, oh, yes, sir. Yes, you know, he walks back. And I was like, yeah, my kid don't even know what scratch means. Like, what's, what, you know, you gotta, you gotta come down. He's 10 years old. He's like seen some track meets, but he don't know. Like we talked about, you know, fouling and scratching and PRs and all that stuff. I was like, uh, sure. I was like, my kid's walking back going, all right. So I scratch what like an itch. Like, all right, cool. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. trying hard. So you apply to a bunch of uh, grad assistant positions out there. Where do you end up choosing and where'd you go? I ended up at uh, Eastern Illinois university. Um, 
Yeah, and, and they at that time had a split program. Uh, they had a separate men's and women's program, and then they had a cross-country coach who was combined, basically. Okay. Um, and so I ended up, I guess I was technically on the women's side. John Kraft was the head coach, and he hired me. And then I worked uh, very closely with John McInerney, Coach Mack, who um, was the the distance coach at the time. And then I went into grad school for physical education, which at that time was like, you know, real science. I don't even know if that, I think that program exists at Eastern, but um, physical education at the time was really considered the kinesiology program. Mm. Um, and so I, yeah, took I went into grad school and, and then took biomechanics, kinesiology, physiology, all that, all that stuff. And a couple like sport management, PE focused kind of courses. Did you struggle at all? So you come from an international business undergrad and now you're mm -hmm. taking, you're talking about biomechanics and physics, et cetera. Was it a, and you're a, you're a, a maybe a learner by trade, my, my experience mm -hmm. with you, but, but did you struggle at all with that? Like, or did it just like, okay, it's just more things to learn. Yeah, it was, it was fine, really. I think maybe some of the physics, because I hadn't taken physics mm. at all through college. I did have a coaching minor in undergrad. And so I had taken some of those kines classes mm. and exercise phys classes. Um, I, but I think the, I remember the biomechanics was, I just kind of had to catch up a little bit. I didn't find it daunting at all. Um, and then statistics actually was, uh, I was like, why do I need this? <laughs> and, and again, I hadn't taken math in a couple of years, but like mm. in my later years so of undergrad. So yeah, it was, it was fine. It was kind of a good balance of like some of the hard science courses and then a little bit of the softer stuff like sport management um, and teaching PE and, and that which kept it, I think, pretty manageable. Did it help you? So, you know, in your head at that point, you already had what, you know, kind of workouts you were doing in high school and some of the workouts and explanation from coach up at Marquette as you were going through the, you know, the, the book science part of it. So the, um, so the, you know, there's art and science of coaching. Here's the science part. Did you, did it help you start understanding what, what your experience had been in the past and then affect what you were doing with the kids? And, and I'm not even sure as a grad assistant, how much impact you had on the writing workouts and stuff like that, but did, did you start seeing like an evolution occurring mm -hmm. with that education? Yeah, it's funny. Cause looking back, like I sort of, I looked at the physiology exercise physiology class as like the most important class mm -hmm. that I needed. Mm -hmm. But then I also took like kines, I took biomechanics and I was like, oh, I'm never going to use that. Like, I'm just going to coach running. So it's just right, <laughs> left, right, left. Fine. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, the, I really dove into the exercise physiology at that point. Um, because I, yeah, it did, it connected a lot of dots, like what, what Dave would talk to us about at Marquette. Um, and then sort of seeing, observing how coach Mac's programs differed from Dave's at Marquette. And that was just really interesting to me. And were you doing any coaching education, like the USATF and, well, we didn't have USTF CCA coaching education back yeah. then, but were you doing any of that yet? Or is that still? Not yet. Yeah. So I, I was pretty wrapped up. I, I wrote a thesis. And so I was, I was very wrapped up in, in researching that. Hmm. Um, but then the one thing I did do was that, that Eastern program was the first program I'd been a part of where the distance coach was not the, the head coach. So coach acres on the men's side yeah, was like a, you know, 
sprint hurdle guy. Mm-hmm. Coach Kraft on the women's side was a jumps guy. Um, and they would sort of swap some athletes like mm-hmm. Coach Akers recognized that Coach Kraft, Coach Kraft was an Olympic finalist in the triple jump. Um, and so he, Coach Akers, the wow. men's coach, would send his male horizontal jumpers to be coached by Coach Kraft. Mm-hmm. And so I recognized that. And I thought, you know, I don't, if I'm going to be a head coach someday, I don't know anything about these other events. And this Coach Kraft guy, he seems, you know, he's an Olympian. So I should hang out with him more. And so I did, I started going to his jumps practices. Um, and just helping him. I just break the pit. I set up bio boxes. I, I didn't really know what, you know, what was going on in terms of technical coaching, but I just kind of listened for scenes and, and watched, um, watched him work and, and then watch how the kids applied, you know, his, his cues. Um, so I think that was probably my first foray into the, the more, you know, coaches education kind mm-hmm. of like track coach education stuff. So that's interesting. Where did that curiosity come from? We, we, we get very uh, pigeonholed and, and probably, you know, we would all be raising our hands saying guilty, like we do it to ourselves a lot where, you know, distance coaches, they go out and they want to learn everything about coaching distance and jumps coaches, they just want to stay in their lane, so to speak, and learn oh. everything about jumps and throws coaches, etc. It's um, rare outside of a decathlete, a, a coach who was a decathlete who wants to maybe diversify you as a distance runner, where was your, why, and a young distance coach at this point, what was your curiosity to even learn about other events? I don't, I really don't know. I, I just think I kind of have a curious, active mind. And, you know, if you're an assistant distance coach, you're not like, I wasn't writing workouts or anything. Mm-hmm. I was, I was running some workouts. I was actually running with the kids still um, learning a lot about coach Max system and all that. But I, I don't, I think it's just kind of my nature. I'm just kind of a, a curious person. And I do have, you know, pretty like active um, multitasking kind of mind. And so mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I just kind of recognize that maybe again, if I'm going to be a head coach, I, I should at least be familiar with some other events. And here's an opportunity right in front of my face, right across the street from my apartment that I can spend an hour and just, kind of absorb information like like no excuses it's like it's right there yeah 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 Yeah. so why not you know yeah that's interesting I I like that I think you know there's certainly a lot of similarities between events and for sure you can learn something if you want to be the best distance coach in the world that's fine but you can certainly learn from jumps and throws and sprints on things that would help your athletes become the best Mm -hmm. distance runners in the world so that's that's interesting that you you kind of gleaned on that early. And I think it has to be something innate in you in, the, in regards mm-hmm. to just your natural curiosity of just, Hey, how's that work? How do things over there work? What does this happen over here? And maybe that shows a little bit on that. Um, not even bilingual. What, what were you quad lingual? I, I mean, I, yeah. I wouldn't go that far. Oh, but I yeah, did, yeah. 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 As a <laughs> guy who barely speaks English, I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying, that, yeah, I'm going to make up a word and say it was quad lingual or something like okay, that. So. Okay. Because you got to count English in there. So you got to. Yeah. So what uh, did, I mean, spoiler alert, you became a coach and you are a coach. So this is a really softball dumb question here, but did that time as a graduate assistant solidify this path towards coaching? Like, oh yeah, this is what I want to do. Yeah, definitely. And really that I attribute that to coach Mac, the cross country coach. Um, He had sort of a polar opposite approach um, to try. I don't know about 
X's and O's of training, but just to his approach to team building, I guess, um, than what I had experienced in college. Um, he was very much like, he would design uh, distance workouts that would emphasize the team aspect, the pack aspect of running, uh, of racing. And I had never seen that before. It, like mm -hmm. he would send one guy out, you know, in front and then the rest of the team would follow it at certain time intervals, you know, every 10 seconds or something. And then we'd have one guy that would have to, or a girl that would dictate the tempo for X number of minutes. And then another person would dictate the tempo for another number of minutes. And so he would manipulate energy system training under the umbrella of, you know, pack running and running for each other and, and that kind of stuff. And I had never experienced that, that kind of tactical um, training, which I thought was pretty, was very cool. And, and he's, his overarching theme was, you're not running for yourself, you're running for the rest of the team. Mm. And so when you really hurt, and when you want to give up and, and all that, you think about all these other people around you or behind you or in front of you that are trying to achieve the same goal. And do you want to let them down? And he wasn't like super, you know, militant about it. But, mm. but that definitely was a, a theme that was threaded through every workout, whether it was a long run or hill repeats or tempo work or whatever. Um, and I think that really solidified my passion for, for coaching like that, that team aspect that is often missed in track and field and has mm -hmm. to, you have to be a little more conscious to build that in. And he definitely did that. And I thought I just was really inspired by, by how he would, by how he, um, managed his team and how he got the most out of these kids that were just, you know, average, pretty average kids. They weren't, you know, the best kids in Illinois typically didn't go to Eastern Illinois. Um, they were talented, but maybe a little bit raw, smaller school kids, smaller high school kids and that kind of stuff. And um, he really got a lot out of, out of those kids. Wow. Yeah. We, you know, when you look at like other sports, like basketball and football, there's the training, the athlete component, right? So the lifting, the weights, mm -hmm. the conditioning, how to shoot a basketball, how to throw a football. But then there's a lot of the X's and O's, you know, the actual play schematics you don't hear that side of it on track very often. Mm -hmm. It's more of the, you know, how to shoot a basketball, how to run fast, how to surge, how to jump farther, et cetera. So to actually combine that play module, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, and I've never heard that before. It's interesting. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I know like I coached for, um, or I was an assistant at Virginia with Jason Vigilante, who mm -hmm. was previously at Texas and he did some of that too, but really coach Mac, it was, a major theme of, of his training philosophy and, and how he built workouts. Um, and yeah, like I said, he's, I mean, if you look back at his, at his career and certainly the amount of conference titles, you know, they're always in a battle with Eastern Kentucky, mm -hmm. um, but the amount of, of success he had in that distance program was remarkable for the, especially for the, for the level of, of talent that they got in and, and, just the buy-in from those kids. I mean, I still, a lot of those kids are teachers and coaches and I still keep in touch with, oh, wow. with a lot of them. And I was only there for a year. Um, yeah. So like August to August. Um, wow. But yeah, it's, it's, it, it's impressive. Like the bond that those kids have. So impressive. You did your whole grad work in 12 months. Yeah. I mean, that was part of the reason for choosing Eastern was it was it was free for once. Um, and it was August to August. So nice. it was, yeah, uh, I guess three semesters. <laughs> What'd you, mm -hmm. you said you worked on your thesis. What was your thesis? 
my thesis, I guess, staying true to my international self was um, I did a I did a analysis of South African distance runners who had figured out ways to compete when they were banned uh, by the IAAF due oh. to apartheid rules. Wow. So I interviewed white South Africans, black South Africans, um, and I just I compiled their different paths to international competition. Um, so yeah, I interviewed Zola Bud, um, Willie Matolo, Alana Meyer, and then a lot of uh, kids who competed in the NCAA. Because wow. the NCAA, yeah, at that time, the NCAA didn't have the ban that the IAAF had on, um, on South African athletes of all races. It didn't matter. It was just they, the IAAF had banned South Africa from international competition due to the apartheid rule, apartheid government. But many athletes found ways around that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I interviewed a lot of professionals and then a lot of, of collegians. See, this is selfishly why I started this podcast. <laughs> I mean, you, you ever heard of the proverbial, you know, peeling back the onion, you know, you do it one yeah. layer at a time till you get to the middle here. Holy cow. Uh, yeah, I've known, uh, spoiler alert here, I have known Carrie Lane for a long time. Well, I was a coach, so, was, you know, I've been at Gill for 15 years, and I've known you way longer than I've been at Gill, right? Uh, I, none of this was even in my, like, oh, yeah, Carrie speaks three different other languages and, you know, did a, uh, a thesis on, you know, a, a South African apartheid runners and how they run, interviewed Zola Bud. Come on, man. That's awesome. <laughs> Holy cow. And we're still in grad yeah. school right here, folks. Hold oh, uh, Buckle up. Yeah. It's, it's going to continue because we even, you know, we haven't even started talking about this. We're still talking <laughs> distance running. Uh, we haven't even got to the throwing stuff yet here. So where, uh, you know, you did your, your grad work from August to August, which is amazing. Uh, you know, you're, you're coaching, you're learning, you're soaking in so much, obviously. Uh, now it's time to go get a, a paying job and not in the CIA sector. So <laughs> what, uh, where, where'd you go? How'd that go? How'd that work out for getting a job? Um, so yeah, I went, I ended up at Coastal Carolina University in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Yeah, I was an assistant distance coach. I was hired as an assistant distance coach. Um, it was actually, I think, a part, technically a part-time mm -hmm. position, uh, but you know how that works in the yeah, track part, world. Part-time <laughs> track coach, 80 hours. You don't have to do the 160. Yeah. You only have to do 80. Yeah, but I did, I did have the freedom to work some other jobs. And so I worked as a physical therapy assistant. Um, I taught some physical education classes to, PT, to PE majors. Um, so just to kind of make ends meet and stuff like that. And then I was an assistant to the women's program again, which was, um, the head coach was Alan Connie, who was a long time. Oh yeah. There. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so that was my first kind of paid gig. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. How, how long were you there? And did you only coach distance running? <laughs> Cause I don't know um, when the actual no. switch happens. So I'm going to ask that yeah. for every position okay. you go to until it happens. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So I was at coastal for five years. I, um, oh, wow. yeah. I, I sort of built on like the idea that, okay, I learned a little bit about the horizontal jumps mm -hmm. when I was at Eastern. Why don't I just take a year for the first couple of years and shadow another, um, you know, another event while I have the opportunity. Cause again, I was part-time. So mm -hmm. I was, I wasn't, wasn't writing workouts at that point. Um, and I, you know, I could, I had the justification to stand out at 
another practice for a couple hours. Um, and so at that time, they had a volunteer throws coach and they had a very successful hammer program, hammer throwing program. They had a couple kids that were like winning conference and stuff like that, looking to get to nationals. Um, and they had a woman there who was a freshman um, who was like touted as like the best shot discus thrower that Coastal had ever signed. Mm -hmm. Coach Connie kept saying, this girl's going to be really good. Um, and her name was Amber Campbell. Mm -hmm. And so she uh, was learning the hammer. And again, there was a volunteer coach there named Dave. And he was, he was friends with Urius Geek. He, he himself, uh, he was in his forties and he was still throwing hammer, just master's meets and stuff like that. Um, so he was teaching Amber the hammer. And I just thought it looked like maybe that should be my next event. There seems to be a little bit of expertise in this event um, at this school. So I'm going to just go over to hammer practice and, and watch. Um, and I was running at the time I was training for marathons. I'd already done a couple marathons. I was training for another one. And I kept getting back injuries and like high hamstring stuff. And I just felt not very good. So I had kind of extra time. Um, and they, they started teaching me the hammer. Like I would, I would get back from like the run runs with like the cross country girls. And then I go to hammer practice in my running shoes and they would teach me how to wind it and stuff. And, um, it was just really fun. You yeah. know, every, the, you know, how throwers are They're They're really positive people. They, they don't take themselves too seriously. Um, and so the throwers and Dave started teaching me the hammer and I got to see Amber Campbell, who's now, you know, she was three-time Olympian in the hammer, five-time All-American. Um, and this was like day one, like she and I learned the hammer the same year together. Wow. And so I got to see her progress and everyone's really excited about her. She was learning really fast. And, um, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to just take this year and learn the hammer. And then Dave, the volunteer coach, um, he, he suggested, cause I had these back problems and I had never, I had lifted weights, but never like organized and he suggested, you know, maybe you should start lifting weights because that may help your back mm -hmm. instead of just stretching all the time and, and all that. And, and so I started doing like more rotational work and um, just kind of built it into sort of quote unquote training for the hammer. Um, <laughs> and then I started, I started throwing the hammer. Like I, you know, I, at one, at, I remember, uh, I think in that first year, maybe it was the second year, they gave me some throwing shoes and I was like, okay, this is getting a little bit serious now. And then they gave me a hammer glove and uh, my back started feeling better. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I was just doing more, you know, rotational work and med ball stuff. And, um, and then I started lifting, like actually squatting and learn how to do cleans. Um, and so I was like kind of all in, I mean, I was still coaching the distance kids and all that, but, right. um, but yeah, so I started learning that way. Um, and, and I remember I would, and, oh, and then I think this was more year two. Um, Dave said, you know, he was going to leave. And so, but he kind of knew that he wasn't going to be around. And so he took the time to tell me that. And he's like, you know, Amber, she's pretty good. I don't want them to have, um, I don't want them to bring in another volunteer because there wasn't a paid position for the throwers. Mm -hmm. um, so he's like, I think it would be maybe best if you really took this seriously and started learning my style of teaching the hammer so that we can keep some continuity with Amber and the rest of the gang. Um, and so that's when I was like, okay, so then I started filming practice. I started taking notes. 
because um, I couldn't see anything that they were talking about Mike mm. like you know I couldn't see like oh you know they were at least to throw it so fast and then the coach is like well you didn't you didn't like right. bend your left leg enough and, and I'm like what, what? yeah <laughs> so, so I just take notes and then I would take the tape and at that time it was like a like you had to <laughs> take the whole camera home and plug it into the back of the tv three different wires all this stuff and um and I would I would just I would just watch throws in slow motion and, and then go back to my notes and try to see like what they're talking about. Now, um, hold on. So we took a big leap there. It's one thing. So the first stage is showing curiosity to the events. And, and I got to tell yeah. you, I had that same thing. So we're very akin to this, except for you took a few more steps here. I used to go every place that I've been to ball state, uh, Mississippi state, et cetera. I'd always go early. Hammer throwers always practice early. I'd always mm -hmm. go early to watch the hammer. It just, it's the most fascinating throwing event for me. You know, it's, it's ballerina with strength, right? I mean, just, it's amazing. The physics, the whole nine. So you started there. You're like, Oh, let's, I'm curious about hammer. Let me go watch it. You took another mm -hmm. step, which I did not. I, although I did learn how to do the turn. Uh, my buddy, uh, Lane Schwer at Ball State did t teach me how to do the, the turn. So, so I, I still, every once in a while, like, Oh, do I remember how to step? And turn? Uh, so you took that next step. You then got the shoes. There, there's where we diverge right there. Yeah. I never got the yeah. shoes or the hammer. Got the shoes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, and then you, so you, you're still at this point and I'm, and I'm gonna say it this way and it's probably gonna be very offensive so forgive me but you're still an oddity right and what i mean by that is yeah. you're the distance coach coming over to play with the throwers and that's fine that's cool that yeah. she's showing an interest i wish more coaches would show uh, kind of interdisciplinary um, um curiosity for other events mm -hmm. but then the, here's the big leap uh hey carrie so i'm probably not going to be here next year you should probably learn how i how to actually coach this event so there's mm -hmm. some continuity for this you know let's be frank here a special athlete in amber campbell here that's a whole different like was there any hesitancy on your part like oh, oh, oh yeah that's cool and all like i love watching and playing around but i'm a i'm a distance coach was there any of that for me or did you just you, you made it sound like you just dove right in like all right let's yeah i think again mike it was like i was just again, like being a distance coach, an assistant distance coach, you're a bit of a, of a cheerleader. And there wasn't, um, coach Connie gave me a, a group of 800 meter women to work with like four women, kind of their B team, uh, ladies, developmental ladies, I guess I should say the younger ones. Um, and he, yeah, I just, I, I just felt like I needed a little more uh, intellectual stimulation, I guess. And so I guess that came in the form of like learning these, these kind of technical events. Um, and actually one of the 800 meter women that I worked with, her name was Jessica Watson and her, her brother, Ben Watson, uh, played in the NFL. I don't know. I think he's now retired, but he played for a while in the NFL. So she was quite a specimen of an athlete as well. And they were looking at her for heptathlon and so I trained her in the eight because she, she came to us as an 800 runner. Um, but then we actually explored her throwing the hammer as well. And mm. So I think that was maybe a little bit of the crossover mm -hmm. was, um, okay, at least, you know, Jessica also showed a little bit of talent for the hammer. And I mean, it was, it was a week conference in the throws at the time. Um, and so we could get some of these, you know, pretty developmental kids as hammer throwers and score a few points. Um, mm. And so I, but yeah, I think in general, it was basically, I just need a little more like intellectual challenge and it came in the form of like real of the hammer in particular. Um, mm. 
and and again it was like this group it was such a community of throwers like Dave he was a volunteer coach so he had practices Tuesday Thursday morning but he had a full-time job mm-hmm. and so then then the throwers would practice like basically all day Saturday and all day Sunday these like mega long practices and it was like a festival every weekend it was like the throwers from Wilmington UNC Wilmington would come down sometimes the throwers from Charleston Southern would come up oh wow uh and so it was like this like camaraderie thing every weekend and then like um we had this this former hammer thrower olympian would come over named peter farmer he's a two-time olympian for australia in the hammer throw he'd come and throw doing master stuff there were several post-collegians at south carolina that would come over um Mm. lisa misipeka Mm -hmm. don ellerby who was the american Mm -hmm. record holder at the time um bert soren uh, was still throwing and competing in the hammer and he would come down and throw with us and he'd always bring like these you know prototype weight training devices uh-huh. and stuff we're like what is this company that Sorenex? <laughs> what is that back in the day so I it was just like this fun community and so I think that was part of it too was it kind of like sucked me in right. um, I mean and I still loved coaching the distance women like it was super fun and and we had a great relationship but this was just this extra thing that, um, that I just really enjoyed. And, and I found challenging, um, in a, in a totally different way. It's something new to learn, I guess. So, and that's all well and good and that's encouraged, but then someone like coach Conley, uh, Al, Connie, had, Connie yeah. yeah, sorry. Uh, I was getting Alan and Connie coach yeah. Connie had to like give his blessing, so to speak right? Mm-hmm. Like he had to actually say, okay, yeah, maybe this is the right idea. He could easily, again, could have squashed it and be like, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's good and all, but I need to go find someone who is or was a thrower. And you, and you're, you, you mentioned, you know, the kind of really cool community you had regionally with, you know, some of the other uh, colleges mm-hmm. and such. So you had a community of, of throwers and throwing there. So how did the next step of like, okay, you are Amber's coach, you are the throws coach as well. How did that happen? I mean, I think that happened um, when I, when Dave left, when the volunteer coach like officially left and then we were like, okay, well now um, Amber was maybe a junior at the, like in her third year, I think at that time. So she had been successful. She had, I think uh, been an all American in the weight, her sophomore and junior, her sophomore year in the weight and the hammer. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, you know, for coastal Carolina, like that was a big deal. We had this all American. Yeah. And, um, and so coach Connie, I mean, to his credit, just kind of allowed me to do it. Like I never, it never really encroached on, on cross country practice or or anything like that as Amber got better. And as our throwers got better and I became, I think we worked it out, you know, where I became the throws coach and then coach Connie's assistant. Um, But as that group grew and, got a little more successful. I did less and less with the distance squad. Like I would, I mean, they needed me to drive vans and I would basically be there for workout days and and cross country meets and all that stuff, but I wouldn't necessarily show up on like the easy run days. And so it was kind of that gradual thing, but I mean, I, I was with the distance kids all through my five years at coastal, um, even into Amber's Amber's last year was also my last year. And uh, we were, we actually had another a javelin thrower who was also quite good. And, you know, through that whole time, I was also helping with cross country and uh, recruiting distance kids and, and all that. So it's definitely like 
straddling both worlds at that point. You know, shout out to Amber Campbell. You know, in today's world, we talk about kids and the transfer portal and all that kind of stuff. You, you know, she's stuck in there. She, th there's yeah. maybe some ex excuses for her to bounce and go to somewhere else that had a full-time throws coach, whatever. Uh, it seemed like she was kind of all in with you as well. So when that, when it becomes official and you're now the, you're the thrower, you're the throws coach. Uh, was there a little bit of a lump in the throat? Like, uh, okay, this just got a little bit serious. It's not me helping someone else and learning like, it's my show. Uh, and, and same for her. Like, did you guys, mm -hmm. I mean, cause you had a special athlete there. You're right. Regardless of whether, you know, coastal and all America, you, you just had a special athlete there. I don't mm -hmm. care what university she was at. Amber was special in college and beyond. Was there kind of this, uh, Oh crap moment. Like, okay, this is real. Let's, let's work together and do this. Or did mm -hmm. it just, again, just kind of seems like a lot of things are just kind of going gradually into that direction. Uh, was there a hard stop? Like, all right, we're together. Let's get it done. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It just seemed like there was, I don't know if Amber ever thought about transferring. Mm -hmm. I, I really don't, it was never like really approached. There were maybe, there was another boy that transferred um, kind of around the time that Dave left, but um, that was like a different scholarship situation and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I don't think it was ever like in doubt. It was mm -hmm. like, because I had, she had seen me working daily with Dave to make right. sure that, you know, like it was a kind of a smooth transition in that regard. It was like, you know, Dave knew he'd be leaving and here's, mm. you know, his underling or whatever. And so um, I, I don't think the kids really had like it, Amber or any of the other one had this like, oh, what does this girl know kind right. of thing? Because I mean, I, and I was competing at that point. I was throwing competitively um, with oh, really? them. Yeah. Yeah. By the way. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I was like all in with that stuff. Wait, um, so hold on, this has got to be one of the most unique PR sets ever. So what was, uh, what was your no. best, what was your best distance, uh, race? Terrible. It was five terrible, five terrible. That, what yeah, about, I okay, hold know. on. You ran a marathon though. I did. I ran okay. a marathon. Yeah. What was your hammer PR? My hammer PR was 53, like low 53 meters. How many? My marathon was three, 314, I think. Oh, geez, seriously? Oh, my God. Yeah. How many people no. are, can even come close to that? Godina. Godina, probably. Uh, yeah, maybe. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That is, I, I mean, that's unique. I mean, everything about this story is unique, of course, but uh, holy cow. Like that's, yeah. the, I mean, you're, you're like a 50 meter plus. I mean, we're not throwing it, you know, Deanna yeah, Price right. out here going 80 meters, no. shout out Deanna Price, but 50 right. meters, you got some respect there. Like throwers are like, oh, I'm stupid the meter. I'm pretty good. You know? Yeah. Wow. Especially when you go, Hey, hey she threw 50 meters. Oh yeah. And she ran a three hour marathon and was a distance runner. Yeah. Like, that's legit. Yeah. I mean, wow. it was, I mean, I looked, I was slow twitch. Like I, you know, I mean, I, yeah, I just didn't have the the motor, you know, but I was coordinated and the hammer throw is very much about coordination. And, mm -hmm. um, and I mean, yeah, I, I trained a lot and, and studied the event. And I think that was my biggest attribute is that I, I could coordinate movement patterns pretty quickly. Uh, um, yeah. and, and if you know anything about the hammer, it's not like a muscle event. Like if, right. if you muscle it, then it, the, you'll get it far to a certain point and then you won't. And, and I couldn't muscle it. So from day one, I had to learn like good technique and mm -hmm. learn how to counter, you know, some, yeah, some nerdy throw stuff. But so I, I think being weak and being a little bit slow actually helped me 
early on learn learn the event because they didn't have these like ingrained like meathead muscly interesting yeah <laughs> right you're not coming from a, like all right well it's 4k i can muscle this thing you're coming from yeah. like i have no idea yeah. yeah. Wow. That's interesting. So yeah. are, are you, you mentioned you were at Coastal for five years. So we're about to go yeah. to where the next position takes mm -hmm. us. Are you a throws coach now at this point? Like, so, so take us through what's the next position and it, was it a throws position that you applied for and got? Yeah. So the next position was at University of Virginia. Um, and that was just straight throws. Um, so that was my first full-time throws gig. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a heck of a first gig, no matter what you're coaching and you go from the throws. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. They had an interim coach at the time. This actually was Ron Garner, who is now at um, oh, yeah. North Carolina A&T. Yeah. He was, they had gone through a couple, they had a throws coach who, who they fired, I think, like in October of, mm -hmm. of a year. And so Ron was living um, in Harrisonburg, Virginia, which is close to Charlottesville is his, his wife at the time was a volleyball coach at mm -hmm. James Madison. And so mm -hmm. That's right. Ron and, and Randy Bungard, who's the head coach at UVA asked, um, Randy asked Ron to come over and just being like an interim for a year and a half or so. And so they had been looking and kind of vetting some throws coaches with the help of Ron, like who could be our next like full-time throws coach. Mm -hmm. And so they told me once I got there, they told me that they had watched me um, for like a season because we would go to a lot of the same meets. And um, yeah, they were like just checking me out and making, you know, just seeing how I interacted with my athletes, my coaching style and how my athletes were doing and, and all that. Um, was so, there, so you interviewed with Randy? I interviewed with Randy. Yeah. Was at UVA. Any hesitancy from him of like, Hey, so convince me throws coach, Carrie lane, you know, I've got other throws coaches that are applying for this gig. Why you, was there any hesitancy on that side or you, you talked about a very almost vetting process over a year, yeah. which is a great lesson. All I don't even want to say all you young coaches, but coaches yeah. out there, uh, someone is always watching, <laughs> especially watching. That, this was pre-social media days. So now yeah. everybody for sure is watching. So great, great lesson just in that alone. Uh, but was yeah. there any hesitancy on his side? I mean, I don't, not that I know of, I, I guess I could ask him now, but I, I believe they contacted me and they probably contacted, you know, a few other coaches as well. Um, and, and Randy, you know, also came from this background of he had coached several events like he had coached an all-american shot putter mm. when he was at east tennessee state and then and um you know he coached the sprints and the jumps middle distance oh, good. distance yeah. at some point so he understood yeah. that and i think he kind of found that kind of interesting um and jason dunn who was the cross-country coach at the time was the same he just he jason dunn was very much a team player and he wanted they wanted a coach in there who was going to be part of a team mm -hmm. um and so I don't, I mean, I didn't, I didn't sense any hesitancy. There also weren't many throwers there at the time. It's, it was a totally different landscape at UVA than it is now, but right. there were just three women javelin throwers and one male, um, like shot hammer guy. Oh, okay. And so there wasn't even this thing, like at that time, it was like, can a woman coach men? And there wasn't even that going on because there was only these like three javelin throwers and they were right. one of them. Well, they were pretty good. Um, so yeah, it, it didn't, I never caught any, um, hint of like hesitation. I mean, 
I don't know. Maybe there was, I don't know, but yeah, I had this picture. I, didn't sense it. I had this picture of, you know, these six foot five, six foot six giants, yeah. you know, looking at you like, all right, you're our coach. I don't know what that, yeah. that was my bad UVA throws that came, coach your voice. That came, yeah. Right. <laughs> that came later. That came uh, later. Okay. But, all right. Good. But, uh, we'll, we'll explore that. Yeah. So, but not at Virginia. You had javelin, mainly javelin throwers. You know, yeah. it's, it's interesting. We, in America, you know, we grew up in the culture of shot put and discus. Uh, we have, I think 22, 25, it's, we've had a few more here lately, South Carolina, Florida, and Arizona add high school javelin, but it's still a minority sport, meaning we've not a lot of Americans get the, the experience of coaching the javelin and in the hammer, uh, I believe it's one state officially has hammer shout out big old Rhode Island up there. And then you have mm-hmm. some states like Washington and California that have a, um, maybe an unofficial state meet. And then you mm-hmm. have these little pockets, uh, Mike judge looking at you down there in the Atlanta area that have uh, some hammer culture, but it's still very much like if, if very few kids have javelin experience coming out of high school, mm-hmm. uh, one 1,000th have hammer experience. So you learn throwing through the hammer with, with Miss Amber Campbell but the javelin is different. Did, how did you, I, I kind of feel like I already know the answer. Like you studied and got, you figured out how to coach it, but how did you figure out the javelin? Cause that's a different throwing event as well. Yeah. I mean, I always say I learned the throws by the Oh crap method of like, Oh crap. I just signed a really good thrower in this event. And, and that came at coastal in the javelin. I signed um, a kid named Thomas Jordan, who was from Pennsylvania um, and had thrown the javelin pretty far at the time, I think 225, I think oh, yeah. in high school, I think, um, maybe farther. I don't remember now, but, um, so I signed him, he, he chose coastal over Florida and some other schools. And I was like, Oh crap. I crap. got good javelin throw. So I got on the phone and called Jeff Gorski. Yeah. Um, who, yeah. I mean, Jeff was like a savior, M- Mr. When, javelin. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, like there's no YouTube, there's no like smartphone so I would drive up like Thomas I spent a year I coached Thomas for a year before I left coastal and so I would go up to see Jeff in North Carolina and bring tape and and he just was like I mean basics 101 of the javelin and related it to the shot and the discus and so I got some you know education on on those I mean I I was coaching those events so I Mm. and at that point I was yes going to clinics and and getting USATF level one and, and all that. So I knew the mm-hmm. basics, but um, I needed, I still needed help, like kind of correcting and spot checking. And Jeff was um, a godsend for that. And yeah, you know, Jeff, he's so enthusiastic and just, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, just uh, super helpful and advocate for anyone who wants to learn. So I was a huge coaching education fan and highly suggested if you're listening and you have not done any or many of the USATF and USTFCCA. And now we have Altus. I mean, we, there's, it's almost mm-hmm. no excuse now if you're not in, doing some kind of coaching education. Uh, and it could be just my naivety of the throwing and coaching them, but throwing always struck me as that there certainly is some, uh, there is value in the coaching education portion of that. And there's some amazing teachers, you know, we mentioned Mike judge and his brother, Larry, who's done uh, a lot of the coaching educations with USATF and such, but throws always struck me more of like the, um, I don't know, you know, the, the dungeon, the garage, like you go to Jeff Gorski, like you go to, like you needed like, uh, yeah. like in the field training, so to speak, like you need to be out there and be throwing and having other people throwing and watching it, breaking it down that way. So, um, it's interesting. You mentioned Jeff and, and, uh, guys mm-hmm. like that, that kind of gave you, uh, helped with that education for, for those events. Interesting. Yeah. So how, yeah. How, 
how long were you at UVA? How did it, did you get more than three female javelin throwers and one uh, hammer thrower? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I was at UVA for seven years. Um, and yeah, we built, we had good success with the javelin. I mean, you mentioned like not a lot of states throw it, but a lot of states close to Virginia throw the javelin, mm -hmm. Pennsylvania, New Jersey being the probably the yeah, biggest big. two. And then, and then even Massachusetts, we had some kids from Massachusetts as well. So um, yeah, we had javelin throwers. We had I, the next like, oh crap moment I got was I signed a, a really good uh, female discus thrower who transferred from Arizona. At the time she was like one of the best, well, she, in her senior year, she was one of the best American discus throwers wow. in the, in the history of American women's girls discus throwing. And she spent a year at Arizona and then, um, and then transferred to Virginia. Um, her name was Billy Joe Grant. And so oh, she yeah. was like the next, yeah, she was like the next big discus. Mm -hmm. or the next big thrower that I got um along with the the javelin women that I that I coached um so that yeah so then I took some time and I again was still training and so I would I would travel down to North Carolina to see this guy Peter Farmer who was a two-time Olympian in the hammer from Australia and so I would again bring tapes of the discus to him mm -hmm. and we would throw together he'd coach me in the hammer and then we'd sit in his living room and watch discus throwing and and he was integral and in, to me learning awesome. the x's and o's of the disc and the shot as well so um so billy joe was our next big thrower along with inga jorgensen who was a javelin thrower mm -hmm. um and yeah and then from there we got uh, again a, a several other good discus mostly discus javelin mm -hmm. kids i guess a couple yeah and then hammer we got you know taught some kids hammer and had good shot putters and just kind of a good solid pro ACC program at the time. Are you going to tell me you also can throw the javelin 50 meters no. and discus 50 meters or anything? No, no. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've thrown them, but, um, yeah, no. not, yeah. More, not more, more like 50 feet than 50 meters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, my PRs. Like, <laughs> like, Hey, everyone turn around while I, while I practice this. <laughs> you were the proverbial do as I say, not as I yeah. do. I can't do this one. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Talk yeah. hammer though. I'll throw some hammer on you. That's right. Yeah. And I will say like the hammer, like competing in the hammer was invaluable towards me. You know, I wasn't a thrower in like in high school or college, but I was a throw, I threw competitively for seven years. Um, and so to learn just the, you know, the mentality that you go through in the throwing events versus like a 1500 meter race, it's different. And it's, it was invaluable for me to, to experience what my kids were experiencing. And then I could coach from, from experience. Right. Yeah, you're adding the book smarts plus a lot of mentor and coaches pouring into mm -hmm. you. And then you kind of that yeah. cherry on top is like, all right, well, I'm going to go figure out what it feels like. Uh, mm -hmm. Everything from the emotionality of getting ready for the event to what it's like walking into that ring and getting her done. Hm. Yeah. And the disappointment and the nerves mm. and yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. And, and I think listening to your athletes too is, is important. You know, a lot of coaches get wrapped up in their own experience and they don't really listen to what their athletes are telling them. And, mm -hmm. Um, to me that in those early years was really invaluable, especially Billy Joe Grant. I mean, she had been to the U S to world juniors. And mm -hmm. so I had never competed on that kind of stage before. And so to hear her experience and how she handled that, it was, was valuable for me to then be able to coach her better at those, at those high level meets. Mm -hmm. 
So you spent seven years at UVA, which is a gorgeous campus, by the way. I went there for yeah. ACCs one year and I was like, it was the first time I'd ever been. I was like, holy cow. I mean, yeah. gorgeous. I, I can't say it any other different than that. That whole campus is amazing. Yep. Were you, so you're coaching throws and UVA has a really good history of distance running and distance events. Was there ever like one eye looking out? what are those guys and gals doing the cross country team or the distance team? Did you still kind of have that passion or was, are you just hundred percent into throws now? Yeah. I remember when I first got there, I asked Jason Dunn, like, could I, you know, come to some of your practices? Cause UVA also has an amazing cross country course. Oh yeah. Uh, Panorama farms. And, mm -hmm. and he's like, yeah, of course you can come. And then I never did. I <laughs> I mean, I would see them on the track, but I never had time. Like at that point, you know, I was, I was busy like we only had four throwers and I think three of them were seniors. So I was really busy building a program and learning right. these other events. Cause now I'm at a higher level. So I mm -hmm. got to, you know, learn more intricacies mm -hmm. uh, of the events. And then in 2007, I guess who shows up to go to business school at UVA was Adam Nelson. Oh, that's, um, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or 2006, I guess. So, yeah. So I had been at UVA a couple of years and then, you know, Adam shows up and I'm like, okay, I guess this is how I'm spending my free time is um, coaching this guy because this is a pretty cool experience. So then I was, yeah, I was all in oh, with the throws man. for sure. Carrie, you know, if you believe in destiny or not, but I mean, you were born to be a throws coach. You just happened to take a pit stop <laughs> and do some distance running for a while. <laughs> Holy cow. I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I still, like I said, I, I relate really, really well to distance runners. You know, the similarity with the throws and the distance um, events is uh, yeah, that none zero, right? Come on. No, they're okay. First of all, they, those are the two athletes that eat the most on your track team. Like tell me I'm wrong. Cause that's, <laughs> yeah, that's a hundred percent. You've seen these skinny little distance runners out eat the big tear, throw tear up a buffet. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one similarity. And then the other one is both of those events are like long-term developmental events, you know, like distance runners know if I put in the miles, I build my aerobic capacity over time, I'm building my base, you know, there's there like, you don't have to be, have this amazing skill set as a distance runner and you can get to be pretty good if you just put in that long-term consistent mm. work. And it's the same with the throws. You put in that long-term consistent work where you get stronger every year, you work the technique better and better, and you can go from a developmental kid to a high level kid. I mean, we've seen it with some of the kids on our Olympic team this year. So I think that's the similarity in those two events more so than the sprint jump hurdle uh, events is that they both kind of know this, they have this long-term developmental vision that may be four years, five years, and even beyond. Mm. Um, so anyway, I, side note, I guess, I think that's the, that's well, the bridge between no, those two events. No one listening today thought they were going to get the similarities of distance running and throwers today. So that's awesome. I love it. Yeah, that's cool. So uh, pit stop with Adam Nelson here, you know, it's, it's, one thing to coach high schoolers to a real high level. It's one thing to coach college kids to a real high level, regardless of event. And then it's this next level, you know, the, the world's best category. Um, what things did you take away? Like 
was it a higher education with an atom of, of things or was it just different? Cause your, you know, your goal set is a little bit different. You're, you're mm-hmm. really pointing after two meets, you know, trials and, and world champs or uh, Olympics. It was definitely more of the, Oh crap. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was like, like I had been around Adam cause he was training in Athens, Georgia, when I was at coastal Carolina and, and UVA. And so I had been around him a little bit in competitions and stuff like that, like local meets. Um, and I still, I remember the first day of practice at UVA where I'm standing like right behind him in the shot circle. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the fastest I've ever seen anyone move in the shot circle. Ah. And I was blown away. And then, and then he's talking about, and this was kind of when he had just relinquished his Nike sponsorship and he was selling his shirt on eBay Uh and, you know, selling his advertisements, whatever. Um, and he's talking about money earned at this meet and that meet. And, and I was like, wow, okay. So this matters, you know? Yeah. Like in the NCAA, you get first or third and y'all get the same certificate and (laughs) (laughs) yeah, big deal. But, uh, but at the professional level, the difference between first and third is like, do you even get a chance to go to the next meet, you know, at at those diamond league or, uh, whatever meets. And so, um, yeah, it was a, a eye-opening different level. Um, yeah. So you're, um, I'm gonna call you a learned person. You're smart, Carrie. Have yeah. you, have you heard of imposter's syndrome? <laughs> yes. Don't, don't, don't laugh <laughs> yet. I'm being for real here. Okay. I, ask, I, ask, okay. I ask hard-hitting questions too. I know I'm definitely, um, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, because this is a real thing. So if you don't know what imposter syndrome is, listener, yeah. uh, it is a very common, like you have probably dealt with it in some point in time in your career as an athlete, as a professional, with your a teacher, a coach, et cetera, that maybe you don't belong. You get to a certain position or you're coaching a certain athlete. This is where I'm going, Miss Carrie here, is you get to a point uh, where sometimes your brain, your, your inner voice, sometimes not the nicest person in the world uh, says, Hey, what do you think you're doing? You're not uh, for me personally. It's like, Hey, who do you think you are to be the national sales manager? Like I, I, I took this uh, position from uh, my boss when he retired, who was a two-time Olympic decathlete and had been at Gill for 20 something years uh, was also a big wig at Bristol square, uh, Mib or whatever. And I was like, who, I ain't that. I, I can't even spell Olympics. I mean, who am I, you know? Uh, so what I'm curious about Carrie with you is did at any point, not necessarily that I I think of it with Adam because of the whole next level, but because of your background and maybe lack of background, uh, in coaching throws at any point in this time, are you just like, what am I like? I'm faking it. These people are fools. I've got everybody fooled here. What am I doing? Did any of that? And and if so, the, the real value here to bring to listeners is how did you, how did you squelch that, that, that bad boy inner voice? Like, Hey man, I'm a good person. Like I, I do deserve to be here. How did you overcome that? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I definitely felt that I still feel that sometimes. Um, but I, I think I, I build really good relationships with my athletes for the most part. I don't know if every athlete I've ever coached would agree, but I think that was where I always, I felt like, well, I'm the best coach for this athlete you know, not necessarily this event, but for this athlete. And I think that really uh, came true with Inga Jorgensen, who was the, a javelin thrower at UVA my first year. She was actually in her sixth year um, and was, you know, looking to do really big things and was coming off of, she had, she was a sixth year because she had 
previous injuries, knee injury, shoulder injury. Mm. Um, and so I had to train her a little bit differently because of those injuries. And then Billy Joe Grant came and she transferred in. And so and she chose UVA um, a lot because she liked me. She liked the school and she liked me. And, and so it wasn't necessarily because I was the greatest discus coach ever. Like I, I, I had really coached no discus throwers at that point. Mm-hmm. And so I think that those two early kids were like, gave me a lot of confidence to know that, you know, I shut out the noise of like, eh, I, I, mm-hmm. I still go, I'm still calling Jeff Borsky for advice. And, you know, I'm still, I'm not, this is not like just me yet, I, but, but, but it is when it comes to me coaching those kids. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, I think the same is true with Adam. I certainly when I traveled with Adam overseas, I was like, what am I doing here? You know, this, mm-hmm. this Bulgarian coach is sitting next to me and I, I, don't even speak his language and we're coaching the, in the Olympic final or whatever it is. And, but, um, but again, like I had such a good relationship with Adam and his wife and we were just, we were basically a family and we were kind of like entrusting of each other. So I think that's how I get through some of that imposter syndrome feeling. I appreciate that honesty that, you know, even, you know, today and, you know, Carrie, now we look back and you're highly accomplished. I mean, even uh, maybe at the point at UVA when you're coaching Adam stuff, stuff, you're still in learning mode. And I know you are, because I know your, your whole kind of attitude is I'm always going to be in learning mode, but you're certainly Mm -hmm. an accomplished throws coach now. So first of all, appreciate that honesty of like, you know, I still get that. Uh, and it's a great lesson for all of us out there when you're coaching, teaching parents, by the way, uh, I'm a parent of two kids. I always, I'm like, what am I doing? Well, who, who entrusted these two kids to me? I got no idea. They didn't even give me a book when I left the hospital with my wife of like, Hey, here's how to raise kids. It was just like, good luck. I was like, seriously, what, the, what do you guys do? Maybe they're not very smart. Cause they just yeah. didn't trust me. But, um, but I think it's important because, you know, we have enough that you're going to have a lot of outsider people, talking about you negatively and positively let's let's be real here and the trick is with the people that are talking negatively is is managing your ego right of like oh how much Mm -hmm. of it is actually true that yeah I don't know how in this case the coach the discus so I better learn (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. and how many of it's like oh okay you're just you're saying negative things just to bring me down, not to help me, right. help me out. Uh, and then the same thing in that, that little brain of yours, that, the, the, not the little brain, the big brain, that little voice telling you, Hey, what are you doing here? You have no idea versus like, Oh, Hey, you, you're not experienced right now, but you can be. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a weird balance. And so um, we, we talked about imposter syndrome on the podcast uh, maybe about a year ago. So just maybe think about, you know, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes and how, how you know, I mean, I was a, a sprints and hurdles and jumps coach and plenty of people were like, well, what is this guy doing coaching in the SEC? And it was like, yeah, what am I doing? Like, I, I was never an athlete. I, you, you talk about how you got in there to, to, to do the hammer to actually feel that. Yeah, I, I was that your 14 foot long jump PR. That's about twice as good as my long jump PR. So yeah, I had no experience <laughs> coaching the you know, SEC champs and stuff. And it really like for me, it kind of it did get to me. Like I didn't have a great coping mechanism, if you will, of like, hey, it's OK. I'm like just learn better and be, and be the best coach for that person. Maybe not necessarily that event. That was a real kind of nugget that you said there regarding coaching the athlete, not coaching the event necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what makes great athlete, a great athlete coach relationship is not just the X's and O's. I mean, you can get there, you know, you can have a, an athlete can have a coach who they don't really connect with, but they're a really good technical coach. And, and that athlete could be the national champion or world champion. But, 
Um, but I think, especially in the college world where you're, where you're working with, you know, younger adults who are still trying to figure things out, that relationship part becomes really crucial and um, more valuable sometimes than having this great technical mm. background. Interesting. That's awesome. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, that's good stuff there. So seven years at U of EA, uh, mm-hmm. where do we, where do we go? So from there, I went to the university of Nebraska. Oh, uh, not that UVA yeah. wasn't serious, but come on. <laughs> one of the most historic throws programs in this country. University yeah. of Nebraska, uh, this little distance runner from Iowa becomes the throws coach at Huskerville here. Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So how was that? Because this is, I, I imagine you did not inherit only three javelin throwers and one male thrower at Nebraska. Right. I mean, I feel like they're kind of like, um, like they always have 50 throwers alone <laughs> just on Nebraska's team yeah. from yeah. Nebraska kids, you know? Yeah. I mean, you mentioned, you know, these six foot guys saying, who the heck are you? Well, that was definitely the welcome <laughs> that mm. I got. And not from everyone, not from everyone, but, uh, but there was definitely that sentiment. I mean, sure. I, yeah. And, and I was, you know, I'm, I'm a little person, I'm like five, five and, um, was coming from the East coast. You know, I, I didn't, I was, I was raised in Iowa, but I didn't have Nebraska roots at all. And mm-hmm. so, um, it was hard, uh, the first couple of years it was, yeah. you know, and, and I replaced Mark Colligan who had very unfortunately passed away, um, very suddenly. And, um, and, and he passed away at the NCAA national right. meet in That's the right. summer. And a lot of the kids were gone already. And mm. so they come back now and, you know, there's this little, you know, petite little person from the East coast who's now their coach. And they hadn't yet dealt with a lot of, you know, the, the feelings and thoughts and, and oh, issues that they no. had with their coach dying there. And Mark was a long time. I mean, he, he threw it in Nebraska. He coached yep. there. Yeah, he's legend. Um, and so it was it was difficult. And he, he, if you know anything about the throws, he coached. He had a really unique approach to um, his technical model of coaching. Oh, totally different than um, than most traditional technical models under which I had learned. Mm-hmm. And so. You know, these kids kind of looked at me sideways when I said words like power position. They didn't know what a power position was. They would hit the power position, but they never heard it called that. And oh. some of the drills, you know, like normal, like a like a wheel drill and stuff like just normal drills. They they thought I didn't know what I was talking about. Um, and so, huh. and I mean, other kids were like, "Oh, what you're saying is how I learned in high school." Okay, I get it now. Um, so it was, it wasn't everyone at all, but there was definitely this sentiment. It was just a, a, a weird, unique situation to walk into and anyone who was, you know, looking at that job and keeping their eye on Nebraska throws at that time knew that it was going to be difficult. It was a very full cupboard of successful throwers, um, who were taught in a really unique way. So all the great coaches that we've had here on the podcast, I could kind of boil down no matter what events, their success to two words, uh, communication and trust. So mm-hmm. being able to communicate and you're, you're saying the exact same things here. I, I just said a different word with communication. When you were talking about how do you talk with athlete? How do you, how do you be mm-hmm. the best coach for that athlete? Maybe not necessarily the event, but for the athlete and then trust like, Hey, so if I tell you to do X and Y, it's because I know what I'm doing from knowing you and talking with you and things like that. Yeah. And how do you communicate to the athlete where they are, 
right then and there. And you're coming into, you know, if it would have been a, uh, air quotes here, normal transition, meaning the former throws coach had left to go to somewhere else and you took over the program. Uh, but I didn't even think about the, I don't want to say stigma, but the uniqueness of, you know, longtime legend, like alumni through there, et cetera. Great guy. I mean, everything, I, I never actually got to meet him, but I've heard, I mean, I think the guy may be up for sainthood. Like I heard, I mean, he's just an awesome guy is what I understand. And mm -hmm. so, you know, he passes away. Most of the athletes weren't there to go through the a process, whatever their process might be for losing mm -hmm. someone close to them. And then you get maybe the exact opposite of that coach that comes in, you know, uh, I don't know how tall he was, but he was not five, five, I'll assume, uh, yeah. you know, male to female, um, you know, you lost a little bit of your Iowa roots. You weren't, you weren't Midwest anymore. You'd spent a lot of time on the East coast. Uh, so how did you, how did you deal with that? How did you earn their trust and learn the communication of how to, how to talk with, uh, these unique people and what they were going through? Yeah. I mean, it was hard. And some of them, I never earned their trust. I mean, it, some of them were, it was, it would go back to the parents, like the parents weren't bought into me either. Um, but so I kind of looked at it. I kind of had maybe three tiers, I guess. Let's look at it that way. So I had the first tier of kids who um, they bought in right away. Like uh, Chad Wright was one who was the Jamaican thrower who had spent a freshman year with Mark, hadn't really bought into Mark's um, style because it was really different than what he learned in Jamaica and so then I came in and it was more like how Chad was taught in high school um, and there were a couple others like that who were like oh okay I like what you're doing this is familiar to me from maybe my high school days or whatever and <laughs> some of them liked that I was a female you know that I men and women some of them liked that I was a different personality than Mark, not that they didn't like Mark, but they re could relate to me as well. Um, so I kind of had that first tier. Mm -hmm. And then I had a second tier of kids that were kind of looking at me sideways that, you know, they, they wanted to be successful and they knew that they were going to have to do it with me now. And mm -hmm. so let's get on board and let's figure this out. Um, and that was the, that was where the communication and the trust came both ways. Um, because there was just a lot of chatter, you know, at parties and it was a, a lot of, it was drama. Um, mm. And to coach Pepin's credit, that's the head coach at Nebraska. He, he was really good about supporting me and shielding me from, from some of that. But, but yeah, so that second tier of kids were, were like kids on the fence that we, we definitely had to be open with each other. You know, I had to learn, let's talk about learning a new language. I had to, seek out Mark's former athletes, former volunteer coaches, uh, Keith Lloyd, Leanne Borma, um, uh, Aaron Wibbles, um, a couple of those folks to kind of teach me Mark's language and, and how he taught those events. It was, it was incredibly different and super unique style. Um, and so I met them halfway. I learned as much as I could kind of on the fly. They met me halfway. We communicated, talked about we didn't like each other and moved on from it, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and then I kind of had this third group that um, thankfully mostly seniors that just, you know, they weren't, they weren't having it. And so we just kind of worked through the year, um, did what we could and, and then moved on. And, and like I said, coach Pepin, I think was um, instrumental, I think in, in even shielding me about you know, stuff I didn't know kids coming to into his mm -hmm. office complaining and, and stuff like that. So um, 
it was, I mean, that, that experience, that really carved some toughness in me that I didn't have to, I never had in, in my other two jobs at all. Um, it it kind of made me like, I had to coach like a grown up at that point, um, <laughs> you know, and uh, yeah. So looking uh, back, it was good. It, it was really hard though. T- talk to me about your attitude that you explained there in that second group, because plenty of coaches, especially now, I mean, you're like, you're established at this point coming to Nebraska. Uh, one of those establishments is you got the Nebraska job for crying out loud. I mean, that's a, yeah. that's maybe a top 10 throws coaching job in this country, right? I don't want to generalize and say a lot. I know of enough coaches who, when they come to a new program, it's foot down, it's my way or the highway. Um, I don't care that you used to do this for the event. This is how we're going to do it. You don't like it. There's avenues for you. You took, it sounds like, I want to explore this a little bit more, the opposite you, again, we, you know, we talk about meeting them where they are right then you went out and explored some of Mark's alumni and coaches of like, Hey, so how did Mark work with these guys and gals so that you could, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but so that you could establish that in your communication with them. Am I getting that kind of right here? Yeah. I mean, it was just out of necessity. Um, because a lot of those kids were, there were seniors that were heavy hitters at the, in the national mm-hmm. realm. And so, I mean, if, if any coach is smart enough, they know that I got one year with a kid less than 12 months with mm-hmm. this kid who has been successful in Mark's uh, program and system. Um, you know, that would be just like death to my career or, or at least to this kid's career. If I just say, no, nah, we're, scrap all that. We're just, I don't understand it. We're going to try it this way. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that's just not a smart way to do things. Yes. Long-term you, you can move away from Mm -hmm. that, but when you got, you know, eight months with a kid who, who has bought in and been successful with this type of program, um, you have to, you have to bend a little bit. And, and I, uh, you know, cause I wasn't a thrower in, in college, I wasn't brought up under a super strict way of training. Like mm-hmm. I, I had already been, you know, picking and choosing and taking piecemeal from all these different people who had helped me Europeans and Jeff Gorski and, you know, some of these other clinics and all this stuff. And so I was, I was still building my personal uh, technical model and training mm-hmm. model. So for me to then learn this other model, um, even if it was just kind of short term or just you know, to get me through, learn enough to get me through. It didn't, it wasn't, it didn't seem like much of a leap, I guess. I hear a lot of uh, empathy for the athletes. Cause you know, they didn't ask for a new coach, uh, mm-hmm. especially in this situation. Right. Uh, so I hear a lot of empathy of like, Hey, okay, so I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to do my best for this athlete where they are in this year. Uh, as I work to continue in, in, you know, as coaches, even mm-hmm. 30, 40 years in, we're still working on our model, right? We're, we're always improving. We're learning more and more every year on what athletes can and can do mm-hmm. in their bodies, et cetera. So it was just another, uh, really sounds like it was like another learning exercise for you. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. It was, um, yeah, it wasn't a chosen exercise, yeah. I, I, but I it made was, that sound way yeah. too clinical. 
yeah. than what because I, I go from empathy to oh it's just another book to learn or whatever you know but yeah, uh, yeah. But it was in the end goal of how do I help this athlete in the you're right not even 12 months eight months maybe yeah. at best mm-hmm. uh, as you're working through everything by the way and you don't even get to see these kids eight hours a week for yeah. the first until 20 so you're not even mm-hmm. with these athletes very long uh, yeah. and, you know, they're, they're with each other. You talked about, you know, chatter, they're with each other more than they're with you. Uh, mm-hmm. so it's, how do I move them along in a positive, uh, mm-hmm. way until they graduate and then make their own decisions after that. <laughs> yeah. And another decision I made at Nebraska, I had always been the strength coach for my athletes. And so we had always lifted together and, and figured out our schedule so that I could write the strength training. Um, but they had a strength coach at Nebraska named Brian Kamita, who they, they loved and trusted um, and did a really good job. And so I decided to just, let's just keep that system in place hmm. because that's a, that's a constant. So their throws coaches switched around, but their strength coach who they love and admire and does a great job. That's the same. Um, and so that was the first time in my career that I'd ever had a strength coach who was not me, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really because I felt like it was in their best interest to keep that consistency. Yeah. That seems like a great ego decision there of like, Hey, my ego mm-hmm. doesn't need to be propped up because I'm their dist or their, uh, I almost said their distance coach, their, uh, strength <laughs> coach. Like, Hey, it, I think this is what's best for them. Even though you may have done some different things than, uh, that strength coach did mm-hmm. or like, Hey, it's better if, Let's have some consist some consistency here for these these kids. I mean, let's let's not forget we are still talking about kids, eighteen to twenty two year olds. Sorry, I don't care if you're twenty two. If you're in the college setting, you, you're much much closer to being an adult. But you you are a kid mm-hmm. in that sense. So there's some some nurturing. That's why we have coaches. So yeah, interesting. So how yeah. how how long were you at Nebraska, and where did we go after that? So I was at Nebraska for three years, three years. and then I decided to leave coaching altogether. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, do you, um, do you mind me asking, yeah. you know, it seems like the Nebraska was a tough situation for mm-hmm. you and, and I don't even think it was you Carrie. anybody I think could have gone in there and it would have been an extremely tough situation and environment. Mm-hmm. So as you get out of coaching, so why every coach right now listening has had this thought, I guarantee it, right? <laughs> it's some form, whether it's so serious, like they get out by the way, this guy, I coached for 10 years and, and got out, or yeah. it's the, the, the coach has been 30 years. and was like, oh, I've never thought about it. It's like, yeah, yeah, you have. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, so what was the thought process there? <laughs> it's spoiler I mean, alert. It, it sucked yeah. you back in. <laughs> yeah. Um, it wasn't that year at Nebraska was not the deciding factor at all. I mean, I yeah. had two more fantastic years Mm -hmm. there every year got easier every year we were more successful even Mm -hmm. um and and so I looked at that year as just like it's just a tough year it's something that made me better in the long run Mm -hmm. uh but yeah that definitely was not Mm -hmm. the reason that I got out at all um and I I have really good relationships with a lot of those Nebraska throwers some of them Mm -hmm. I don't but um but yeah I mean we move you move on from that Mm -hmm. it's like a year it's I'd been coaching whatever, 15 years at this point. Well, I don't know, something like that. So it's like, okay, I know, I know what good years feel like, and this is just not one of them and that's okay. Move on. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, I mean, the reason I got out, I can pare it down to the phrase that I felt like my time was not my own. And I think that was not the fault of Nebraska, not the fault of UVA, not the fault of coastal, but the accumulation of years. Mm -hmm. Um, where I, I felt like, you know, every, every year from June to 
from January to June, I, I couldn't make plans on the weekends, you know, and I, I counted one year at my last year at Nebraska, I had five weekends off um, in the whole year, including Christmas and Thanksgiving. So I just felt I was just getting worn down by um, that. I just felt like I was kind of shackled to my job and didn't have anything outside of my job. So it took a long time for me to get to that point, um, to that place where I could, you know, wrestle with the idea of, mo of moving out of college coaching. Um, but it was a feeling that I'd had for a long time. And uh, so, so we talked about imposter syndrome in the sense of, you know, who we're coaching and maybe the places we're coaching and Adam Nelson comes along and <laughs> things like that. Uh, I, I, so I get a lot of, I feel a lot of questions from coaches because, you know, I did it for 10 years made it to the SEC, blah, blah, blah. And then I got out and I did the crazy thing. Uh, I, from what I remember, Carrie did not do what I did. I did. She did not move to Vegas and play poker for a living. She's smarter than I am. Uh, but then I came to Gill and, you know, have a great time. I like mm -hmm. to think I'm successful here, et cetera. So I field a lot of these questions. And one of the hesitancies that coaches have when they're talking to me about this is, can I do this? Can I do whether they're talking to me about a sales position here at Gill or they're talking about uh, starting their own business or going back into teaching? Their question is always, am I just a coach? And first of all, take that word just. If you're a coach, you are not just a coach. Coach is a big, important, positive impact uh, title. So there is no just a coach. You are a coach. Uh, but can I do this? I'm a coach. I've, I've coached for 15 years. I've coached for 30 years. I don't know that I can go back into the air quotes real world. So it's kind of yeah. like this, you know, imposter syndrome is always with us. I mean, this is not just coaching thing. This is everywhere. Uh, did you have that as your, when you finally kind of made that decision of like, yep, okay, I'm going, I'm going to remove myself from coaching for uh, maybe at that time you thought forever, but <laughs> it was only for a time being, did you have that concern of like, man, I just know how to teach people to throw rocks far. How can mm -hmm. I go into the real world? I mean, a little bit, but, you know, I, I always had the confidence that like, okay, I can be a strength coach because I've done that for so long as well. And that's a little bit more of a universal trait. Um, I have a PE degree. I could teach PE if I want to. Um, but yeah, I, I had, I, I saved up some money sort of in anticipation of this. And so I gave myself a year to figure that out. Um, and because you, can, you went while you're coaching, you, you know, you can't figure that out. You're, you coach in the morning, you write workouts, you recruit at night. There's no extra time to like do a side gig or something like that. So uh, I just decided I would, I would quit. I had some money saved up for this occasion. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then I took a year to explore what I could do. I knew I could do something, um, but I, I wasn't sure what, and I, I wanted to take the time to relax a little bit and uh, explore some other options. So for the sake of time, walk us through. So what did you end up doing? And then how did you, why did you quit again and become a track coach? <laughs> yeah. So I ended up, so if you know me, I, I, um, I love to do outdoor. I love being in the mountains. I love rock climbing, uh, mountaineering, skiing, that kind of stuff. So I moved to Denver and I um, linked up with a guy who I went to high school with was a physical therapist and, and about 85% of his clients were 
athletes, high school athletes, some professional athletes and that kind of stuff. And he just had office in Denver. And so I worked out of his office doing return to play kind of work, uh, strength training work. There were a lot of competitive swimmers that he, um, that he did some strength training with, and he kind of just shifted those kids over to me. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I was a strength coach essentially for, uh, a bunch of different athletes. And then I became a speed coach through or sprint coach for this group of post-collegiate distance runners. So kind of came back around, (laughs) but I found that I had this niche for like, okay, I understand the pain that distance runners go through. Mm. Um, but I also understand the importance of strength training for that population. And it, there wasn't like a group, you know, there's not a, it's still a, um, I guess, a burgeoning field of like, of distance runners doing speed work and strength work. Mm-hmm. It's certainly coming more and more into the norm. So anyway, I had this group of, there were the WCAP program at the Air Force Academy that were post-collegians. Yeah. Uh, they worked with Julie Benson. And so I ended up writing a proposal to work into me getting paid to, to work sprint mechanics with them a couple times a week and write their individual strength programs. Um, I was also teaching at that point for the US TSCCCA with Boo Schecksteiner was teaching right. the strength training course. And so that, it was just a kind of a nice a bridge. It was probably, I did so many little gigs that those couple years, um, but that was my favorite is working with the distance runners. It was, it was super rewarding. Um, I worked with high school kids doing the same kind of stuff. I brought out the max velocity acceleration ladders and stuff like that. <laughs> and they loved it, you know, cause it's so different than what they're used to doing and they felt good and they ran right. faster. And so, um, so yeah, I just did a lot of, of different um, gigs like that with uh, out of this PT's office. And then later with another kind of a strength training group that worked with hockey and uh, some combine guys. I worked for, as a strength coach for a high school volleyball club, which was really fun. Um, so I was just piecemealing a bunch of gigs basically. Right. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed the post-collegiate running world a lot. Um, I was looking at getting my massage license so I could kind of become this, you know, multifaceted strength, soft mm-hmm. tissue performance therapist kind of thing. Um, and then Wyoming called and asked if I would be interested in being the throws coach. And so I, I said, no. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering, did you have any pause? Yeah. Like, was it an automatic? Yeah. Like, oh yes. Thank God. Or was it like, ah, I don't know. Yeah, no, I was like, I told Brian Berry, I was like, that's a hard maybe. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and, uh, I'll call you back. And so then I, I was, uh, I, yeah, I have a boyfriend and he was out of town. He was in, he was out of service. So I wanted to call him because we were looking at moving out of Denver mm. because Denver was getting a little bit expensive and crazy. And I didn't like the city life, but I liked the West. I liked being in the West. Um, and so Wyoming kind of fit the bill for everything that mm. we were looking for and that it's, it's two hours from Denver. So you're still close mm. to a big city. But now you're close to the mountains and the rock climbing and all that with no crowd, it's cheap. So it kind of ticked a lot of boxes. And I was like, well, I already know how to be a throws coach. So, uh, you know, maybe this is a little bit of less of a crazy lifestyle that Nebraska UVA was. I can kind of get back to 
you know, I'm not recruiting all over the world anymore and that kind of stuff. Um, and so maybe I can now protect my time and still flourish as a coach, um, maybe pursue some soft tissue work as well. Um, and so that's how I got back into it. I got back into it really through a different lens. I never feel like I was sucked back in. Because uh, I mean, honestly, I didn't really miss it when I was gone. Because um, I was still coaching, right? I was just right. coaching different athletes and learning a lot. But it, I feel like now I'm kind of, you know, carry 2.0, I guess, coaching and, and very protective of my time and, and still giving to as much as I can to my athletes. But it's in a bit of a smaller setting. Um, mm in terms of the university and in terms of the town. And it's, you know, I can go, I go rock climbing or skiing in the morning before practice sometimes. Oh, and wow. so it's like, now I can live my life and coach these great kids at this great university. That's a competitive university and all that. And so that's how I got back in. So I love this two sides of the same coin type of thing, right? So obviously, you know, the very easy analogy there is the distance running to coaching throws. Like, I mean, it's two different things in that sense of, you know, the traditional 10 mile long run versus let's go get as strong as possible in the weight room type of thing. Mm -hmm. But also you, you talk about, and I knew your love for mountain, you know, we're, I think we're friends on Facebook. So I see a lot of mm -hmm. one of the social media. So I see a lot of, you know, mountain climbing and things like that, but go back to coming out of high school, you were dead set. I got to go to a college in a city. <laughs> like I want to, yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, it's just interesting. This, <laughs> yeah. uh, these differences, you know, now, you know, there's a, all the whole Midwest, East coast. Now, you know, I don't think you're on the West coast, right? Your, your, your mountain region is what, what I'm, yeah. yeah. High plains. They call high it plains. the high plains. Yeah. <laughs> so how long have you been at Wyoming and, and how was it? So, so how many years were you out of college coaching? I was out for three years, three years. So I would, think possibly possibly that that's another mark against you doing air quotes there meaning so now you have a female showing up mm -hmm. to coach throws uh do any little now we're in uh internet land so we can google real quickly and find out carrie was not a thrower uh and now here's this coach who's been out for three years any of that play into it or did it did the kids more accepting uh at the university of wyoming when you showed up no i think they were pretty accepting mm -hmm. um yeah, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't this hostility or, or any, or like, who are you or imposter mm -hmm. syndrome or any of that. Um, yeah, I think, I think they were, they were on board. I mean, at that point, you know, their coach, Paul Barrett, who they built a great program yeah. here and, and they really, they have, they hold him in high regard, but he chose to leave. And mm -hmm. so there, that's a different, um, situation than mm -hmm. what I had walked into it at Absolutely. Nebraska you know? And so, um, yeah, I, I think this, it was probably the easiest of, of all the transitions that I've made mm -hmm. in, you know, into a new group, this was probably the easiest. Um, and I think it was because I had a lot of success and now I'm, you know, can hopefully bring that success here. And, mm -hmm. and I was very upfront and explained to them why I'm here and, and I like the mountains. That's why I left coaching in the first place. And now I could do all of that. And that's why those kids are here. They, they like to hunt fish and right. they like to be in the mountains and, you know, and so, um, we're all, yeah, we all have pretty similar interests. I would say. I think the most surprising part to me is that you didn't get hired at the university of Wyoming to coach like 
the long jump and triple jump or something. I don't know. I just figured in your, you know, in the, the, the book of Carrie Lane, the next chapter would be, oh yeah, now she mm -hmm. becomes one of the top jumps coaches in the country. Yeah. <laughs> That's the most surprising I mean, part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I asked because I was, I was really intrigued with sprint training and, and I thought it was, I, I love it. Like it's, it's really fun. And so I asked them like, can I coach the multi? And they're like, sure, no problem. And then we had no multi. <laughs> so there was no, uh, no one for me to coach, which that was very sneaky of them. They yeah. Knew that. Uh, yeah. So I never ended up coaching the multis. I, but it's nice here, you know, again, cause I have a little more time. And so I've been able to, to, to learn, continue learning more about the throws, more about throws training and apply some of that. Whereas I felt like uh, a little bit at Nebraska, like I was, I was never learning more because I was just managing recruiting and managing athletes. And, and I feel like I have the time here to become an even better coach and a better technical coach, um, better strength coach and, and all that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I integrate some of that sprint training into my throwers training for sure, but uh, but yeah, it never took off for me to be the multis coach. <laughs> it makes sense though. I mean, like yeah. you might be the, you might be the best multis coach. That's not coached multis. <laughs> I know. Yeah. What uh, yeah. are you, are you still doing any teaching as well? Or, or like for USATF or USTFCCA? Yeah, I still teach the uh, strength and conditioning course with Blue Shack Snyder. And Good. that is, that also has been invaluable um, for my education and uh, just, I mean, Boo has been such a mentor for me these last, I think I started in 2014 teaching with him. Um, so yeah, that's been a great experience and has yeah. opened my eyes and exposed me to coaches from all walks of life, from high school to clubs in India and everywhere, uh, which has certainly, it's just given me like a, um, I don't know. It's put a lot of value in just the, the personalities of coaching and the, the mm -hmm. backgrounds that coaches come from and appreciation for, uh, you know, people are successful. You don't just have to be a division one coach to be a really great coach. Like it's, yeah, that's amen. ridiculous, you know, mm -hmm. and people are successful at all levels and there's really, really high quality coaches at every level mm -hmm. and teaching that course has put that front and center and center for me. You know, on social media, when someone says something really smart, uh, it's cool to like say, you know, shout it to the people in the back or say it again or whatever. I want you guys to hear what she said because no truer words have been spoken. You do not have to coach Division One to be a great coach. No. Uh, the and best proof I have of that is go look at the national meets for every NAIA, JUCO, D2, D3. Go look at the high school national meets, state championships these kids are getting coached by someone and they're amazing. Yeah. amazing. Yeah. So I love that you have that recognition uh, and the gumption mm -hmm. to say that out loud. I mean, again, that ego plays into it where it's like, I'm division one, I'm the best. And certainly no. there are, there are great coaches in division one, but it ain't only division one. That's awesome. No, not, yeah, not at all. And um, like I said, I, I've always felt that, but teaching that course where you're interacting mm -hmm. with these students, you know, for three straight days, um, yeah, it, I mean, it brings that to the forefront and it just gives you, it gives me an appreciation for just the, um, the value that, that a coach and their personality, whatever bring to the, the collective coaching community. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and I love that you're working with Coach Schexnader. I've said it before. I will mm-hmm. always say it. If Boo Schexnader is speaking at your clinic, your high school clinic, et cetera, USTFCA, if he's speaking there, if you come across, across a YouTube clip of Boo speaking, you stop what you're doing. I don't care what event you're coaching. I, I, I might, not, I don't ever think I've ever said this. I might not care what sport you're coaching. Listen to that man. You will learn something that will change. I give all props to him. I coached for 10 years. I took um, level two jumps with him. He was my first level two right at, year, right at the end of year five. So my, my career, you know, nice and neatly, you know, first half and second half and the results of my athletes in the second half, it pales in comparison to the first half. There's, there is no comparison. They got a billion times better. And it was all because Bushek Snyder started drawing stick figures up on the board and could make a guy like me understand the mm-hmm. high levelness that he was uh, speaking. So shout out Bushek Snyder. Love you to death, man. Yep. Uh, so uh, Carrie, as we end up here, uh, I always like to just kind of get a check in. What's got you excited about the University of Wyoming here in the next couple of years? Just uh, kind of a 10,000 foot level. How are you guys uh, looking for this next year? And what's what's got you juiced up, ready to coach? Um, I Yeah, I think... We've had a pretty, I guess, in the throws, in the throws at University of Wyoming and our, in our squad, we are on this mission, I guess, and, and we've kind of built this, um, this vision of, of where we want our squad to be in the next couple of years. And, um, and we've got a really great group of really talented group of young kids that I just, you know, I feel like are on the verge, like we, I thought it would happen this year, but with COVID and everything, there was a lot of, yeah, just kind of incontinuity. <laughs> right. Right. But in some ways it was good, uh, which we don't need to get into, but, but I think that's what excites me about Wyoming here in the next couple of years is, um, is our throw squad is really kind of on this, uh, singular mission to achieve some things nationally. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think, I think the bigger program at Wyoming is our staff is sort of looking all for those same types of achievements, Wyoming uniforms at the national meet. And um, so, yeah, that's got me excited about Wyoming. And, um, and I, again, I think I have the freedom to build the kind of program that I want here, which um, yeah, which also excites me to, to stay here and, and, build something that's really special well as a personally as a former professional poker player i've been known to make bets i'm a i'm a gambler all right if carrie lane is leading a bunch of young student athletes and they are on a mission i ain't betting against that let me tell you no way no how uh carrie thank you so much you know i say this to every guest and i mean this 100% the most valuable thing that you can give me and us here in the podcast is your time. I mean, you you are busy. Like you mentioned, you're probably, you you probably had to cancel some mountaineering thing or, you know, things I have no clue about to be here today. And so I am just so thankful that you would sit down here for, you know, close to two hours and really give us, I I still feel like we kind of just scratched the surface. We could have gotten a lot deeper in a lot of these uh, chapters of your journey. And I'm just so thankful that you would be so upfront and honest with us and uh, give us kind of a peek into coach Carrie Lane's life. Thank you, Mike. And thanks for, for doing this. This podcast has uh, been really fun to listen to all your guests are um, it's an eclectic group and, um, and it's fun to, to hear how you get the most out of them in, in the interviews. Well, it's, it's easy when, uh, you know, we go from distance running to throwing to Adam Nelson to, you know, that's, 
uh, it's easy. I just sit back and just that like, why, what, how, and just let you, you be the star. Cause you are a star. You're a rock star, man. So I'm just so thankful for you today and your, your time. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. And thankful for you guys being here. Uh, you know, again, you gave time. You sat here and listened to Carrie's amazing story. It wasn't that amazing. Like, I I'm super excited. This was Carrie's, I don't know, what did we get up to? 15th, 17th, 18th year of coaching or whatnot. I can't wait for four years from now, eight years from now, 12 years from now. The part two to Carrie Lane. We're, we're going to do this podcast forever. So I'm going to have Carrie come on and do a part two one day and pick up from here in Wyoming. And I just guarantee you, it's going to involve like, uh, you know, a rocket ship to the moon or something. I don't know. I put nothing past her. It's amazing. So uh, thankful for you. Some being people here. might want that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thankful for you guys being here today. If you received value, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that maybe someone else in your network would receive value from hearing Carrie's journey. So please share us Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, whatever you young kids are using now these days. And join us next week and we'll have another awesome coach for you to listen to. Have a great day.